You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. A little bit late today. I decided I wasn't going to stay up and do a podcast last night, and I wasn't going to get up early and do one today, but I am going to do one. It's just going to be, uh, you know, nobody's up at five on a Sunday anyways. It's fine. It is weird, though, because I feel like I haven't recorded a podcast in forever. And like I missed a day or two of podcasts, but technically I didn't. I just haven't recorded one since uh, Thursday night, I guess. Friday night. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Any whoosie what's it. Um, feels pretty good, man. It's nice that there's football. Like actual real football. Guys are just out on the field playing football like it's nothing. And uh, things are headed in a direction. I mean, I don't want to... I, I probably shouldn't even say anything because I don't want to jinx it. Because who knows? But it seems like we're kind of going in a direction where by the time football starts, not saying COVID isn't a thing anymore, but it's not something that kind of dictates our daily. Bottom line, full stadiums is, is where I'm going with this. But either way, baby steps and um, just seeing the guys out there in the green and gold playing football, practicing, actually practicing. I kind of wish they would have let last year's guys go as well. I think they should have. Maybe that's a little iffy because some of them were basically starters. And probably some of the teams didn't necessarily want that, but maybe you could have made it optional, you know, because you want to spend time with your rookies or whatever, but you could have made it, you know, optional for teams if they wanted to, maybe certain players that didn't really get a lot of time. I'm sure they would love some extra time with Jordan Love. Maybe some of those offensive linemen, Josiah, just saying. But anyways, not going to be greedy about it. But the Packers did officially add their 90th person to the roster, so... Any questions of, are they going to bring this guy in? Should they bring this guy in? they got to at least be paused for now because the roster is officially full. No more space. And that was with the addition of quarterback Kurt Benkert. So uh, what's-his-name's nephew, Jim Kelly's nephew, is uh, not a Green Bay Packer. Let's be completely honest, that was a very big long shot to begin with. Otherwise, there's uh, not a lot of actual news going on, which is weird because usually those two things don't go together. This is an awesome time, and I'm happy with what's happening right now as far as the NFL is concerned, and there's nothing going on, at least newsworthy stuff, unless you want to just sit here and talk about, you know, the rookies all day. Hey, did I mention the rookies are are doing stuff, like drills and whatnot? There's videos. I could play the video for you and just let the audio roll. You won't be able to see it, but we'll, we'll, we'll do something else. I do want to start off taking a gander at a couple questions here. Um... Did get a question from Goose about, has Brady ever had an elite year with a bad offensive line? How much does good line play affect whether A, B prospect turns out decent or not? We'll cut off that last part. So let's do this. We'll we'll break it down as pass blocking and just take a look at what Tom Brady has had 
over the last, I don't know, however many years. Uh, I'm going to use PFF's pass blocking grades just because that's kind of the easiest way to go about doing this. Um, 2020, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass blocking grade ranked 14th. So it was average. In 2019, the Patriots were 12th. 2018, the Patriots were uh, 6th. 2017, they were 9th. 2016, they were 11th. 2015, where are the Patriots? Oh, 31st. <laughs> I had to, had to scroll a bit. It's interesting, too, because they were the um, second highest graded team overall. The lowest graded category was pass blocking. Now, they didn't win the Super Bowl that year, but they did uh, get to the conference championship against the Denver Broncos and lose by two points. 2014, they were 30th. They did win the Super Bowl that year, so they had one of the worst offensive lines in football and won the Super Bowl. Packers, by the way, had the number one offensive line, did not win the Super Bowl. 2013, the Patriots were 19th. 2012, they were 9th. 2011, they were 13th. And then finally, in 2010... They were 19th. So, what is it? Like three times they were top 10. He's never had a top five offensive line as far as pass blocking is concerned. So, I do know that there's been a lot of talk about Tom Brady. He just sits in the pocket and nobody ever gets to him. I think there's a decent amount of truth to that. I also think he generally operates in a pretty fast-paced offense, right? It was, he'd get to the bottom of his drop, top of his drop, whatever you call I don't know, north of his drop. And there's a guy open and he throws it to him. I mean, that's pretty much what he operated with. There are obviously several times where he sat there and there was nobody around him, but he's never really had a premier, good offensive lines, never really had a premier offensive line. So look, is, is offensive line not important? No, it's very important. But I don't think if you're talking about how do you win a Super Bowl, I don't know if there's any substitute for having a good quarterback and a really good defense. Which again, brings us back to laughing at people who are obsessed with wide receiver. The Patriots have never really had premier elite wide receivers. They had Gronk. They, you know, once in a while would have like a guy. But there's not, I mean, again, look at the Packers. The Packers have had great offensive lines. They've had great wide receivers. What's the one piece they've been missing? It's defense. And so we continue to try to build this defense. Gutekunst has done a fantastic job building the defense. We go, again, heavy defense to really get, as they said in the press conference, I don't remember if it was Gut or LaFleur, I think it was Gutekunst, to where... You look at it and say, I think we're kind of getting close to a point where the defense is on the same level as the offense. That's what we need. Yes, that having another wide receiver is going to help. Building up the offensive line, absolutely going to help. I mean, your quarterback can't do much if he's on his back. But you're never going to, I shouldn't say never, but it's, it's, it's going to be really, really hard to get over that hump of being a good team that gets into the playoffs and being a team that actually wins in the Super Bowl if you don't get that defense figured out. Now, I think the Packers have deeper issues as far as why does everybody just fall asleep in the NFC Championship game. I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know the most important piece that's missing for the Green Bay Packers that's been missing for ever is defense. And, and on the few occasions the Packers have, have had really good defenses, they win Super Bowls. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's had a very up-and-down play from his offensive line. Um, it's been decent recently. But he's also had, as I pointed out, really bad offensive lines and won Super Bowls with it. Got a question in the Facebook group from Zach. It says, how confident are you that love is the future of the franchise? So 
keep in mind, this is a different question than how confident are you that Love is going to be the quarterback this year? It's at any point, Love will be the future of the franchise, meaning he doesn't become the starter and we're looking for a new quarterback. I've halfway addressed this before. I do like Love. And I do have confidence in Brian Gutekunst. And I do think he has a lot of traits that a lot of guys just don't have. And it's just a matter of can he get over the hump, you know, as far as the mental part of it, really kind of embracing things, understanding things, and and working within the system. Because if he can do that, he has all the athletic ability to be, uh, you know, the next great Packers quarterback. With that being said, the odds, I can't get past the math on this. The odds are not super fantastic that we get three in a row, right? (laughs) Granted, the first two have no real bearing on the third one that's but it just it I don't know I I would say I'm as far as my gut like 20 percent if that but if we look at it we've got let's see since let's just say 2010 again um 39 quarterbacks have gone in the first round so I haven't done this ahead of time let's just read through it and see what we get as far as a gut feeling are there are there more hits or misses ready we don't know about obviously Mac Justin Fields Trey Zach Trevor um we don't really know about Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and Love. Um, however, Justin Herbert seems pretty solid. Tua, we'll see. And Joe Burrow seems pretty solid. 2019, Kyler Murray seems good. Daniel Jones, in my opinion, is good. I don't know if either of these guys are really great. Dwayne Haskins has been horrible. Now, bear in mind, of this group, every single one of these guys, for the most part, has been drafted... Um, sixth or higher. Jordan Love was 26th, Dwayne Haskins was 15, and Dwayne Haskins has been terrible. Again, I'm leaving out this past draft, which had Justin Fields 11 and Mac Jones 15. Baker Mayfield went number one overall. I think he's a good quarterback. Sam Darnold went third, not good. Josh Allen, seventh, very good. Now we get outside of that, um, well, I guess he's still technically top 10, but Josh Rosen, 10th, not good. Lamar Jackson, though, biggest glimmer of hope, Almost fell out of the first round. The Baltimore Ravens traded up into the first round to pick him at 32. He's fantastic. Mitchell Trubisky, garbage. Pat Mahomes was still top 10, obviously elite. Deshaun Watson, 12. Still a big difference between where we are and Deshaun Watson, but still outside of the top 10, obviously very good quarterback, leaving all the other stuff aside. Jared Goff, mediocre. Carson Wentz, mediocre. Paxton Lynch, 26th, horrible. Jameis, number one overall, not very good. Marcus Mariota, number two, not very good. Blake Bortles, number three, is now a Green Bay Packer, not very good. Johnny Manziel, 22, similar range, not very good. Teddy Bridgewater, 32, not very good. E.J. Manuel, the year before that, 16th, bad. Andrew Luck was very good, but he went number one overall. RG3 was second, bad. Tannehill, suddenly good, was eighth. Brandon Whedon, 22nd, terrible. You got Cam Newton, number one, was good for a while. Uh, Jake Locker went eighth, terrible. Blaine Gabbert, 10th, terrible. Christian Ponder, 12th, not good. Sam Bradford, number one, terrible. Tim Tebow, 25th. Most of these guys are bad. I mean, if we just read off names, Tim Tebow, Sam Bradford, Christian Ponder, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, Brandon Whedon, uh, Robert Griffin, E.J. Manuel, Teddy Bridgewater, Johnny Manziel, Blake Bortles, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Paxton Lynch, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins. And we still got a bunch of question marks on a lot of these other guys that might be busts. Of the guys that I'm confident are going to be really high-quality quarterbacks, again, the last 10 years of first-round draft picks, the guys I'm very confident about, 
I'm not going to even include Burrow and Herbert because it's only been a year and we've seen guys with one year not do anything. Um, Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, Lamar's good. We can, we can include Lamar. Deshaun, I don't know what to do with that exactly. I guess we'll still call it a hit. The outside, off-the-field stuff is a separate issue. Um, Andrew Luck. Kind of Cam. It's not good, man. And you look at guys in the 20s or later, you got Lamar, you got Paxton Lynch, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, Brandon Whedon, and Tim Tebow. Lamar is the one that stands out. Everybody else is, I mean, really bad. The two guys that got drafted um, very close to where Jordan Love got drafted are Paxton Lynch and Tim Tebow. So, again, how high are my expectations that Jordan Love is going to be this next freak quarterback? Like, uh, three in, in 39, so like one in 13. Now, the only good thing about this, or, or you know, the, if we wanted to increase our odds and say what's different about this situation, the Packers are not desperate. The Packers were in no way desperate, similar to how the Bears were desperate and traded up for Justin Fields. Not saying it's a bad pick. I'm just saying they're clearly desperate. And, um, I mean, just 100% all in. The Packers would have been happy to go in a different direction. For the Packers to trade up to get Jordan Love, they had to feel extremely highly about Jordan Love. Still could be wrong. And even if we look at guys in the teens or, you know, between 10 and 19, still not great. Dwayne Haskins, Josh Rosen, Mahomes and Watson, very good. EJ Manuel, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. So even if they were, they were saying this is a good value at 12, still not a good pool. I mean, even if we look at the number one overalls, how many elite quarterbacks have gone number one overall? Like guys that are like, dude, I, if we could have him right now, we'd be set. Andrew Luck? Um... Otherwise, that's about it. We'll see what happens with uh, Burrow and Lawrence. I mean, I guess you could maybe say, uh, where is he, Baker, if you wanted to. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, how good does Jordan Love have to be for me to answer this question in the affirmative or, or in a way that says, yeah, I think this is our guy. I think Baker might be about the cutoff, not Kyler. We'll see if he becomes something special. He's, he's got time to grow yet. But I'm not in on Kyler. But Sam Bradford, Cam Newton, Andrew, uh, let's see, Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, and that's it other than Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, which are to be uh, determined. I just, it's just, again, it's just, there's, there's definitely no guarantees, even at number one, and the odds are just bad. So I like Jordan Love a lot. The odds are stacked against him, no matter what. And this is also, again, what gets frustrating about people who, you know, when the when the Packers do something that's not a resounding success, they act as though that's not the norm. The norm is in the first round you get great players. And if you don't, you're a failure, you're a loser, and you're a crap GM. That's not the case. Most of these guys, even the number one overall, most of them are not good. Jared Goff is still in the NFL. He's not good. Jameis Winston is, is possibly going to be a backup to uh, Taysom Hill. Cam Newton had flashes. He was decent for a while. He was like elite for basically one year. And now he's with the Patriots and the Patriots are looking to replace him. Possibly have replaced him. I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, uh, why don't we take a break? There's one other thing I wanted to touch on today. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So one of the things that's always kind of uh, weird is the strength of schedule thing when a new season rolls around, because you don't know how good a team is going to be. It might give you a general sense if you know how good they were last year, as far as how good they might be this year, how hard your schedule might be this year. But uh, Warren Sharp actually had a different take on this that I thought was pretty interesting. He says in this tweet, I don't think people realize how important the release of the schedule is. It's not who you play. We knew that. The NFL doesn't control that. The NFL controls when you play, how much rest do you have, and if you have an edge. It's crazy how imbalanced it is. So he has this big detailed chart. It says 2021 prep and rest variables. And then he's got things broken down. For example, opponents' days to prepare. How many opponents have over seven days to prepare for you, under seven days to prepare for you, and then the differential in the rank. There is more or less rest than opponents. So how many games do they have more rest than the opponents have, how many games do they have less rest? So if you played uh, Sunday and your opponent plays Monday and you both play you know, next Sunday, obviously it's going to be on the same day, you have one day more rest than the person who played Monday, right? He has listed how many short week road games do you have? So it's, a again, a short week, whether you play Monday, Thursday, whatever. I mean, you played Monday or you're playing Thursday, and it's on the road. Um, Off-road, Sunday night football or Monday night football, negated bye weeks which I'm guessing means you have a bye week, so you you get that rest, but your opponent has it as well. I think that's what that means, but I'm not positive. And then teams that have four games and 17 games, and only one team has that, and that's the Eagles. (laughs) So (laughs) a brutal gauntlet of four games in 17 days. But he takes all that, he ranks all these things, and then he aggregates it out to say who has the most brutal schedule. So the Bengals have it the easiest. They have zero... uh, they play zero games in which their opponents have um, over seven days to prepare. Two of their opponents have under seven days to prepare. There's three games in which they have more rest, zero in which they have less, zero short week road games, 
zero off-road Sunday night, Monday night football, zero negated bye weeks, and zero, you know, four games in 17 days. That's the best. As far as the rest of the NFC North, all the NFC North is quite low in this ranking. In fact, they're all in the red on here, with the exception of the Lions. So it's, it is interesting because if you look at this, well, I guess that's not entirely true. But a lot of the really bad teams are up on top. So it's interesting when Warren Sharp details this, it, 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 it's actually extremely interesting because he mentions they don't even control who you play, right? That's already predetermined. The one thing the NFL can control is how difficult your schedule is going to be, and they set it up so that a lot of these teams that are really bad have sort of the easier road to get through, whereas some of the better teams have a more difficult road. At least that's true of the teams at the top of the list. One of them is the Lions. They have um, only one game in which their opponent has more than seven days to prepare for them. They have three games in which they have more than seven days to prepare for their opponent. I won't go through the whole list, but they rank third. They have the third easiest schedule as far as prep and all that kind of stuff um, in the NFL. After that, there's a pretty big drop-off. The Packers, however, have the second easiest in the NFC North. They actually tie the Colts and Cowboys for 21st. Again, slightly more difficult than the NFL average, but the Packers have, and I'll read all these because obviously this is the one we care about. Four opponents have more than seven days to prepare for the Packers. Three times the Packers have more than seven days, which is a minus one differential, obviously. Three games they're going to have more rest than the opponent. Four games they're going to have less rest, which obviously, again, minus one. Short week road games, the Packers have two, which no team has more than two. That must be a hard limit that the NFL actually sets because it's either zero, one, or two. You would think by accident somebody would have three, but they don't. Off-road Sunday night, Monday night football is one, zero games are negated, and obviously they do not have four games in 17 days. So it's not terrible. It's, it's actually pretty close to 50-50. Then we get to the 29th easiest schedule also known as the fourth most difficult schedule, and that is the Minnesota Vikings. Five times their opponents have more than seven days to prepare for them. They only get one. One time this year, they're going to have more rest than their opponent. Four times their opponent is going to have more rest than them. They do not have any short week road games, which is a benefit for them. Two off-road Sunday night or Monday night football games. Their bye week is negated, meaning their opponent has a bye week at the same time, so it doesn't really do any good as far as extra prep or anything. Again, I think that's what that means. It could be negated by something else, but I can't think what that what that other thing would be. So it's pretty brutal for the Vikings, who are trying to regain their footing after a tough year last year. But even worse than that is the Chicago Bears, a team that has been getting kicked in the teeth over and over again by their own GM, nonetheless. But they finally get their quarterback. They're going to try to put him on the field. They're going to try to put him through, you know, I don't know, get him some success. Unfortunately, they have the most difficult schedule of any team in the NFL. They're only one of uh, three teams that have six opponents with over seven days to prepare for them. Twice do they get um, seven. Excuse me. Twice do their opponents have under seven days. Two times do they have more rest than their opponent. Five times their opponent has less rest. Or they have less rest. I can't speak. They have less rest than their opponent. You know what I'm trying to say. Short week road games, they have two, which is, again, the max. Off-road Sunday night or Monday night football, they have two. That's the max. And yes, their uh, bye week is negated. So they've got a rookie quarterback who they're going to try to get prepared and get ready. And the NFL has decided to give them the most difficult schedule <laughs> of anybody. That's crazy. 
He then goes on to lay out how this compares 2011 through 2020. The Bears, who have uh, the hardest schedule in that, ske- in, that, in that time frame from 2011 to 2020, have had the 27th roughest schedules in that time frame. So they have been getting raked over the coals consistently since forever. I'm not saying I feel bad for them, but at the same time, they don't need any help. All right? They don't need help being bad. Give, give, them, give them a real opportunity. The Packers, who are uh, 21st this year, have uh, been 13th over the last 2011 to 2020, so 10 years. So they've had pretty average. The Vikings also 12th, so they're right in that range. They have a tough one this year, but can't really complain as far as how things have been for the long run. The Lions have had it the fourth easiest. So some of these teams, and again, the NFL does this on purpose. I can't explain why they're kicking the Bears. Or for that matter, the, uh, the Giants, who have a rough one this year and have had the hardest schedules over the last 10 years. The Colts have a pretty rough one. They've, they are 29th. The Patriots, well, I guess I can understand the Patriots because, you know, again, they've been very good and they try to give them a hard time. I can't explain the others. Other teams that have been getting raked over the coals for several years, the Eagles, uh, second hardest over the last 10 years. There's six this year. Uh, the Broncos, which seems un- unnecessary. Seahawks kind of makes sense because they've been good, but they've had the 30th most difficult. But the Bears, 27th, I just, I don't know, man, it's weird. He goes on to explain some other things that he's looked at as far as the schedule. Um, There's a graph here, but he lays it out this way. He says, a team has a net rest edge of plus 12, while another is minus 15. The plus 12 is Carolina, which is just days of rest more than your opponents. New England is minus 15. He says, that's a 27 days of rest edge between the two, which is nearly one month in a four-month season. Remarkably, this is better than usual. Clearly, more could be done to balance it. This one chart shows every single rest edge for every team. So, I, I obviously, I don't think he's wrong about that. I don't know why you can't balance this a little bit more. But, um, again, sticking with the NFC North, Detroit is third. They have 11 days uh, more rest than their opponents. Green Bay, minus five rest days. Minnesota, minus nine rest days. Chicago, minus 14 rest days. Anyways, I, I kind of hate to leave it at that. That didn't take very long, but um, it's a Sunday. We're going to keep it kind of short. I want to get some stuff done. And um, I did ask for some questions in the Facebook group, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe for tomorrow we can just do a question and answer kind of thing. So if you're listening, jump in the Facebook group, hit me with a question. If you're not in the Facebook group, don't want to be, just hit me up on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you can get a hold of me, and I'll take your question and throw it in my, uh, my queue. Same for Discord, wherever you are. doesn't matter. But I would like for tomorrow to be a Q&A. If you don't have a question, give me a give me a comment, your thoughts, your feelings, whatever. Don't care. But uh, you folks have yourselves a great rest of your Sunday, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.